Welcome to the Gospel Journey Podcast. The Gospel Journey exists to help our people into discipling relationships that are centered on God's Word and led by His Spirit. Today we are in week four of Path Nine, the book of First Thessalonians, being chapter four, and I'm joined again by both Steve Winstead and Wes Selectman. Good morning, guys. Morning. Good morning. So we ended last week talking about the prayer in chapter three and how that uh, Steve, as you you introduced, it's really a, it's a bit of a transition in the book of First Thessalonians that uh, he's prayed for them. He ends that prayer talking about his holiness, and then in verse four, we're going to start getting into some uh, practical instructions for the Thessalonian church. Yeah, he's going to talk about how they should walk, and, and really he's giving them a, a challenge to grow. So he just talked about how he desires to come and see them back in verse uh, ten, so that he could supply. He used the phrase, what's lacking in their faith, and we talked last week how that, that's really meaning just help, help these baby Christians grow uh, in their faith and grow to maturity. So here, now he's going to give them some very practical instructions on how to continue to grow. Yeah, and it's, um, uh, I just make a quick note that anytime we see that idea of walking in Scripture, you know, walk as, as you should, walk as you ought, or CSB talks about living as you should, that, that, that's all it means, walking is biblical language for your lifestyle, for the, for the way that you live. And so here he's saying you need to live a life that is congruent with the faith and truth that you profess. Yeah, yeah, and, and, and that's in, you know, verse 4 starts off finally. So Paul's, you know, bringing this home, and the thing that he wants to know is we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that you receive from us that you have to walk and to please God, just as you are doing, uh, that you do so more and more. So Paul is praising them in this. Hey, you've been doing this. Let me encourage you to do this more and more. And as you grow to maturity, your life should reflect this even more and more and more. And interestingly enough, even in verse 2 here in the CSB, he uses the word commands. For you know what commands we gave you. Now, this is huge in discipleship. Uh, we are to call one another to obedience. Now, here is, that becomes difficult is that there, there is a big temptation uh, for some believers, and, and, and I feel this at times, too, where we get defensive, or, or we'll simply say this. If anyone tells you what you should be doing, you hit them with the title of being a legalist. Well, you're yeah. just being legalistic. You're just being legalistic. Well, we need, to, we need to hold off on that a little bit because legalism is a— a gigantic term to throw around biblically considered because if you call me a legalist what you've just said is i have told you that if you do x god will love you more or if you do y then you will earn your salvation legalism says i obey therefore i get and that is that is a a very damning term uh, uh to be called uh, as a christian and so we want to be careful how we throw that around uh, if someone truly is doing that, then the rebuke is well worth it. But most of the time, we're simply pushing other towards obedience, and we don't like that, so we get defensive. And legalist is an easy uh, uh, term to throw out there, so that we don't have to deal with whatever we're being called uh, 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 to confront in that moment. Yeah, I found that even in my own sanctification, with folks that have discipled me and, and folks that I've discipled, one of the easiest ways to combat that is to whatever you're commanding or instructing, as it says in the in the ESV, someone to do, you need to model it first. 
uh, first because Christ is our model. He was the perfect example of obedience. He was a perfect example of following God's instructions. And so he, he models obedience. Therefore, when we disciple others, if, if, if someone's struggling with a particular area in their life and I say, hey, um, you know, you need to think about trying or doing X or whatever, well, I need to model that first in my life so that they don't see me as hypocritical, they don't see me as legalistic or whatever. Uh, they see me as authentic, and, and and they'll respect when you say I've struggled with this same situation, uh, you know, in my own life, and so here's how I handled it, and here's how I'm handling it today. And and beyond that, we also, or or not beyond that, but but alongside of that, we also need to make sure that we're we're calling people to obey the Bible and not our own personal preferences, and. Uh, you know, the way that we play out the Christian life or what, what our consciences think we should or should not do. Jesus tells us to teach others to obey him, mm-hmm. not us, mm-hmm. to obey him. And, and Steve, here's what's so, and this is where the, the, the Christian faith is so counterintuitive, is that these commands or rules or whatever you want to call them, uh, they're not oppressive. They actually bring freedom. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That God has designed us to live a certain way, and as we live in light of his word, pursuing holiness, we live more fully the way we were designed. And Paul, there should be no doubt with the Thessalonians, when you read this book, Paul loves them. So as Paul is commanding them, it's a command out of someone who deeply loves them. So as we're discipling right. people, really, as we start to correct and rebuke, instruct, do some of those uh, in, the, in really some tougher places— when there is a, a knowledge of and an experience of this person loves me, then those are received much, uh, see very differently than when it's um, a person just sort of feels like they're jumping in your life to tell you what all you're doing wrong. And you don't really know where that's coming from. And you don't feel that I, I, the Thessalonians felt and experienced Paul's love for them. And he's just expressed that he sent Timothy to them and he's rejoicing in these good reports. So now he's moving to, Uh, to instruct them. And that's exactly what he starts in verse three. And I like the way verse three starts. It says, for this is the will of God. That's one, that's a question people often ask. What's what, what is the will of God? Congratulations. Steve's going to solve it for you this morning. (laughs) I'm not going to solve that for you. Mic drop coming up. Not at all. But I think there's, I think when they're asking, they're asking two ways. Primarily, I think most people are asking is, What's the will of God? And they're asking it in this sense of like, what does God want me to do in my life? What does he want my vocation to be? Who does he want me to marry? And all these things that scripture doesn't address as specifically in our lives. What scripture, anytime you look at what is the will of God, it's always speaking to renewing your mind and the person that you are. So really what we're going to see is when you, if you want to know God's will, it has more to do with who you are in Christ and how he's working in your life. And then those other, you know, questions seem to, I think, start to fall in place a little more clearly when we're acting on what God has shown us the known will of God is. Sometimes we're asking, hey, what's God's will for me over here? And we're not being faithful in the areas where God has shown us, hey, this is clearly my will for you as a as a person to pursue holiness. And it's what I desire for you to be a person who is walking in tune with the Spirit so closely that you can determine those other things. Yeah, and, and uh, to your point, uh, the God's will discussion, uh, biblically considered, is usually more at a 30,000-foot view. It is mm-hmm. rejoice in all circumstances, for this is God's yes. will for you in Christ Jesus. Here, what's God's will for this church and for all of us? 
It says your sanctification, which is the, the big fancy word for your growth in Christ-likeness. God's will for every Christian is that you look more like Jesus. Amen. And the particular angle he's taking here, which this must have plagued the church at Thessalonica, is is one area of holiness that they are being unholy is is in their sexuality, in their sexual practices. So he says, control your own body. That's his first that's his first instruction, to control your own body in holiness and honor. Yeah, and, and certainly the, the city of Thessalonica, it, it was a city that um, temple prostitution, sexual impurity was was ingrained in that culture. So they're, they're living in this, and Paul is, is starting off to, to look at going, hey, in light of your culture, here's something. They may have been, I'm certain there were people probably in the church dealing with it. Uh, they were all coming out of it. it. It was pervasive in their culture. And he's saying, here's what it is that you abstain from sexual immorality. So that's part of the known will of God that he has for them. He says, abstain from this. Um, control your own body, as you were uh, speaking, Jamie. And Wes, I was reading this this morning, and it really hit me. The uh, Look at the language Paul uses as it relates to sexual sin between Christians. And I don't know why I've never seen it before, but it is strong. Uh, anyone who rejects this truth in verse 8 uh, rejects God, who gives you the Holy Spirit. Uh, he talks about don't transgress against one another in this manner because the Lord is an avenger of all these offenses. Sexual sin inside the church specifically is met here with incredibly strong language. Yeah, I find great comfort that you know, sexual immorality is rampant in our world today with the Internet and so many things going on. It's not a new struggle. They were struggling with this 2,000 years ago, uh, struggling even before that with sexual immorality and giving into the passions of lust. And it is a defilement against God. Uh, I struggled with sexual immorality when I was a younger man, and one of the things that helped me turn the ship around was my... Uh, resolve to just not disregard God in this matter, to be obedient and say, you know what, I'm not going to disregard God. He is an avenger, like it says, in all these things. And this is a defilement to him. This is uh, an act of dis- of unrighteousness. You know, I'm not being holy when I give in to these passions in this flesh, uh, of the flesh and in lust and sexual immorality. And so I'm going to resolve. I'm going to set my face towards God uh, in, in righteousness, and that's one of the ways I overcame this particular sin struggle in my life. And and to highlight something that you just said, uh, part of the challenge, uh, whether it be for us personally or for people in our body, it, almost the familiarity with sexual sin, whether it be mental lust or actually acting on it or, or whatever struggle may be in, in this particular arena, because it is so familiar, it almost it doesn't hit us with the same weight and danger in which scripture thinks or speaks about it and it, it, it and it's real it's very peculiar and i think it's i think honestly it's a, it's a, a strategy of satan and all his cohorts is you get a group of men and and let's be honest women now statistics show that this struggle is pretty much equal regardless of gender you get together in a small group and you all you know share whatever your sexual sin struggle that week is, it becomes so normal. You almost just expect that to be part of the time, and, and we become numb to stopping and saying, wait a second, confessing this is not enough. 
the danger of this, the defilement of this, the havoc that this is going to wreak, not only in our own lives, but in our church, this requires repentance, not a simple weekly confession, more of the same. Yeah. Um, any group I've been in, and I, I feel like I've had the blessing of getting to lead groups of men for the last um, 18 years, whenever uh, guys are willing to be transparent and honesty, um, sexual morality is always at some level in the mix, and it seems like it, it almost is hitting everybody in the group. So it's this, this universal uh, semen struggle, and I think the enemy loves to get us sort of stuck on it, where a lot of times we aren't even able to go into the uh, other sin struggles we have because we're just looking at this one massive sin struggle going, man, if I can just get past that. And so, so it's an ongoing str- uh, struggle for so many win- uh, men, and I think uh, many women now, but the God has called us here, it says, not to impurity, but to holiness. And holiness right. is a thing that I think is not talked about as often in the church. We often uh, don't speak of holiness, and that's what God has called us to be, a people who are holy and pure and seek to live in that, because it's in that that we're living in freedom and fullness that God has created us mm. to live in. So there's a, a, a beauty uh, to living a holy life free from sexual morality, uh, a, a pure life. There's There's... Uh, joy and freedom in that, and that's what God calls us to. It's it's really for our good that He calls us to this. And just maybe a word of encouragement, because uh, because so like I know people listening to this have the same struggle, okay. And and the reality is, God in His kindness, in giving us the Holy Spirit, has deposited every ounce of power that we need to become free. And so He would say the resurrected power. So the same power that resurrected Christ from the, the, the dead is available to us with the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And so what I would just urge anyone that this is a, a, a ongoing sin in their life is, is, is not to despair and be hopeless. That God can set you free. It is his desire to set you free. And, and he alone provides the power to set you free. And yet he's also designed, I think, a lot of the ways in which your freedom will come. Confession. Uh, repentance, pleading with the power of the Spirit to set you free, and having ongoing relationships in your life that are going to be high levels of accountability. Furthermore, there are still wisdom steps to take, whether that's get rid of the smartphone, take the Wi-Fi out of the house. Those things don't heal the deep-rooted issue, but they are wisdom steps to help limit your access to something that could be wreaking havoc in your life. And so just know God desires us to be free and God has deposited the power for us to be to be free and you're not in it alone the Holy Spirit and dependence upon him uh, is the ticket and victory over any sin struggle in our life yeah the, the, the one thing that uh, the disciples asked Jesus to teach them was how to pray and he gives them uh, what we commonly refer to as the Lord's Prayer and in it he prays lead us not into temptation it's not just lead us not to sin it's, it's that temptation to sin so what what you're talking about is some is we have the wisdom to look at our lives and go, when are those moments that I'm tempted? What what pulls me toward temptation? And how can I keep myself from, because we often, I find people want to go right up to whatever uh, the, as close to sin as they can without actually stepping into it. And, and we really should desire to be as remo- far That's removed right. from it, run from temptation, flee from it. That's right. And, and, and some of those, and that's where we talk, some of these things, maybe things that I need to do in my life, but maybe Wes um, doesn't necessarily need to do. 
because he may not struggle with that exact same thing. But we need to. Well, we all know Wes has a lot of other issues. <laughs> we can we can find some that's of those. A, yeah, that's a podcast of another day. <laughs> yeah, so. yeah. But the the desire here is yeah, white knuckling it uh, in sexual temptation is is, is not going to last. But we we protect. We we be wise. We do all those steps, and then we do what we see biblically, which uh, you know biblically leads not to temptation. So we we fight those things, and then we get accountability, as you said. We repent, and repent involves turning from sin and heading toward Christ. Yeah, Jim, you brought up the Holy Spirit in, in giving us the power, and it just reminded me, well, first of all, at the end of verse 8, he says, you know, whoever disregards this disregards not man but God, who gives his Holy Spirit to you. Later in Second Timothy, uh, Paul writing to Timothy, the very guy he sent to Thessalonica, in first, or Second Timothy 1.7, he says to him, For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. And so utilizing the Holy Spirit, not to just to convict us of our sin, to kind of uh, point us to, to our struggles, especially with sexual immorality, but but allow the Spirit to work in us and through us. He, we do have that power. We do have the ability to, to love others without giving in to the temptations of the flesh, and we can have self-control. That's a good word. So we see here at the beginning of chapter 4 that Paul uh, calls the church towards holiness in this one particular area of sexual purity. Now, take that and, and do whatever you need to for the people in your groups. The principles apply to whatever the sin struggle is. He moves from this to then commend them for something that he's already mentioned in chapter 3. He says, brotherly love, you don't even need me to write to you because this, because you are taught by God to love one another. In fact, you're doing this to all brothers and sisters in the entire region of Macedonia. So that that first part of chapter four may have hit them a little heavy, uh, uh, really convicting, mm-hmm. maybe discouraging. They're all sitting there going, "Oh man, I'm struck in my sin." And Paul says, "Well, hold on, like you're also you're doing some things really well." So he, so he drops a bit of encouragement in there, and this is a really important. Because as we mentioned last week, Steve, I think you brought it up, their love for one another is an evangelistic arm of the ministry of this church. But then here's what he says. He he shifts to something else they've got to work towards. We encourage you, brothers and sisters, to do this even more. Seek to lead a quiet life. In verse 11, CSB, quiet life, mind your own business, to work with your hands as we commanded you, so that you may behave properly in the presence of outsiders. There's our evangelistic witness component here. And not be dependent on on anyone now this can be a little bit of a a weird part of first thessalonians so it's been a little bit of time and he's saying live a quiet life work with your hands so that your witness amongst outsiders uh uh, will be something that's winsome uh Mm -hmm. to the christian community yeah uh we're we're called to we we walk in a different step than the way culture does and what that's what really paul's calling them to i imagine the thessalonian culture sexual morality was so pervasive in that culture that he's calling them to, you don't have to go live this um, wild, uh, lust-filled lifestyle. Make it, make it your aim to, to live a quiet, faithful life. And that'll be a testimony. That, that'll, that'll be a, a witness uh, to people of who God is in the midst of you living a life that's not built around running from one thrill to another, but that's built around being faithful to the Lord. And let that be how you're defined, let that be who you are, and that'll inspire other people and encourage them in their faith. Yeah, there is, and it's hard to know exactly what the, 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 the cultural way this was playing out as far as their interaction with their greater community. This has both an inside-outside component to it. 
and and it's hard to know as far as the outside component exactly what's happening in their cultural context but there is a way that these christians or this church are living in the public sphere that paul is saying it's it's actually doing damage to your witness for christ and now while there's some conjecture as to what's actually going on uh, uh there's some thought that says there uh, there's an idea of this culture of patronage in which literally you would quit working and you would find someone that you held to be important or of some popularity and 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 you are you are essentially a hired cheerleader that you would show up at their house you'd greet them in the morning you'd walk around with it so people would try to build these huge entourages of of literally just people that would praise them and and these were called their clients and what they did is they would give these people a little bit of food or maybe a little bit of the clothes just to show up to keep praising them and if that's what's going on in some conjecture that's what it is mm-hmm. that's where paul says Hey, mind your own bit. You need to get out of this patronage system and go do some manual labor. Go work with your hands. Uh, Divorce yourself because it does not look right for a Christian to be dependent on praising and honoring and submitting themselves uh, to, to this pagan person all day long and yet then still trying to proclaim that you pay ultimate homage and honor to Jesus Christ. And so while we can't know exactly what's going on, there are some principles there for us to take away that we are to handle ourselves in a public sphere in ways that are winsome towards Christ and not ways that do damage to the Christian witness. And he speaks of working with your hands and being faithful in the work you do. I think it's easy in our culture where a lot of people's struggle is with all the noise of our culture, engaging the noise of our culture, engaging the noise of our day, whether it be social media or whatever. And, and those things can, can lead us away from a consistent, faithful witness. When our witness is more about what we uh, post or, or put out there than it is about being faithful in the little things that, that people don't see that aren't going to get the, the big recognition, um, then, then we've often entered into a uh, seeking a witness that um, isn't faithful what God has called us to be about here. Yeah, I agree, Steve. Um, and that's a good word. And and it probably a good point of discussion to senior gospel journey group says, how do we, and when I say public sphere, I'm not simply saying politics. It's usually the, yeah, it's yeah. a synonym for politics. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying in the way we, 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 we live and move and exist in our culture. So outside of the church, what are ways in which we can be distinct and winsome towards Christ? And what are the ways that we do damage to the witness of, of Christ? I've met with several members of our church that have lunch with me, and they detest the fact that their boss professes, professes Christ because of how he treats coworkers and because of his business practices. That is more, I think, of what's in view here, yes. of all the subtle ways in which we profess one thing and yet deny it with the practical uh, um, um, ways we live it out. All right, let's round third and head home in chapter four. But we don't have to read every verse in this final section, but big picture theme that Paul's final encouragement to them in chapter four is rooted in in a proper understanding of Christ's return. Now, caveat, that's not proper understanding in the sense of all the ways, the details and logistics and ins and outs and you know, is there a rapture or not a rapture? And if y'all want to do that as a gospel journey group, then have at it. Don't invite me. Have at it. I, I don't enjoy all those kind of conversations. But if you do, feel free. That's not the point he wrote that, though. He wrote this to say, Jesus is coming. 
big picture. He is coming. Be encouraged by that. But I don't want you to be uninformed about some foundational things. And that's where it begins in verse 3. We don't want you to be uninformed concerning those who are asleep, euphemism for dead, so that you will not grieve like the rest who have no hope. It's a great funeral verse for a Christian, as we don't grieve like those who have no hope. If we believe that Jesus died and rose again, central tenet of the Christian faith, in the same way through Christ, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. Uh, it, this church in Thessalonica seemed to somehow be struggling with, can I really trust that this person that I loved who professed Christ, that when they're dead, that they're actually going to be with Jesus? How do I know? How do I know that there is life after this? How do I know that Christ is coming back? How do I know that? It, and, and Paul says, you know, because Jesus Christ walked out of that tomb on what we call Easter morning. Um, our hope, where we would continually remind ourselves, we don't grieve as those without hope. And that's why uh, there was a, a, a funeral very recently of, uh, of a, a man who's a, a believer and uh, for his wife who died in a tragic house fire. And, and that funeral was, was filled with hope. She wanted it to be a celebration, not to grieve as those who don't have hope, but to grieve as those with hope. We still grieve. It doesn't remove the grieving that we have this hope. But it's a different sort of grieving. We know that it's, it's, it's temporary, that one day we're going to be with them again, and we celebrate and wait for that day when we'll be, the, be there. And the assurance of our hope mm. is that Christ was the first to, to walk out of that tomb mm. and that we too will raise from the dead. And that's what he's reminding them of, that that's where your hope is. That's what we look forward to. That's the day we long Amen. for. Mm-hmm. You know, it's normal and natural to grieve, uh, even as believers, when someone passes. And we experienced this in my family a few months ago with the passing of a family member, a young, uh, young cousin of mine. And we grieve because we were never intended, before sin entered the world, we were never intended to be separated from each other or separated from God. And now we have this, this for point. now, separation. Um, it, but the hope is, and, and, and what I can't wait to do is to see all of my friends, all of my family members, my brothers and sisters in Christ, you know, before the throne one day. I look forward to that. And, and so I still grieve. It still hurts. It still stings today. But I know that there's a day coming because God's word says so, that he is coming back. I had a very good friend of mine. He used to say we'd have uh, theological discussions, and he'd just say, Wes, there's two things I know. Jesus is coming back. And he's taken me with him. And like, it's very simple. You know, there's, it's a little bit more to that, but it's, it's kind of true. That's our hope is he's coming back. And it's not a hope like I wish, but it's a hope I know uh, he's coming back. God's word says, and we'll be reu- reunited with those believers that we've lost. Um, and it's also, I mean, you can have a whole discussion about now with the evangelism portion of what well, we want other people to, to mm. enjoy that presence with God one day when he does return. So. Yeah, and that is the great joy for the Christian is whether it be by death or by the Lord's return, we will be with Christ and everything will be made new. Uh, the reality is, and and this is what I look, I love this about the Bible. The Bible is written to real people. And God understands what it is to be us because he became us. And he knows that death is prevalent on our minds. It's prevalent on this church's mind. Everyone at some point either encounters death, thinks about death, fears death. Death is a normal part of human existence, albeit a very difficult part. And the hardest funerals to do are when you know someone doesn't know the Lord. Because 
Paul doesn't say here that those outside of Christ uh, uh, grieve with hope. That is a there's a hopeless grief that accompanies death apart from Jesus, and that's very real too. Yeah, I've often heard you know death is sort of the equalizer. We all face it. None of us get to take anything with us. Our our status in this world, none of that matters when it comes to death. We're all going to die, no matter how successful or how much we struggled. We're all facing death, but for the for the believer, we have great hope in the midst of that. And that's where Paul closes in 18. He says, therefore, encourage one another with these words, that we are to mm-hmm. encourage one another. Um, I was at the home a few weeks ago um, when uh, uh, Bill Garner, when uh, the Nyack family came in from India, their three children had, had passed, and to see people continually encouraging one another in the midst of pain mm. and grief and uh, wailing, very difficult situation. But there was a continual encouragement in the midst of that, that these children knew the Lord, that they trusted the Lord. Mm. And there's great hope in that. So in the midst of grieving, and, you know, I, I learned that Indians grieve very, uh, very loudly and very emotionally and very physically. But there was a very real sense of hopefulness mm. uh, in the midst of that grieving. And that's what he says. We encourage one another in this. And as I watch people praying for one another, speaking to one another, it was continually, we all pulled back to our hope is in the Lord. We continue to trust him in the midst of great tragedy and grief. I would just add one final thing to that. The best encouragement you can give someone in the midst of their grief is encouragement from God's word. Search Amen. the scriptures, search mm. the Psalms, search uh, whatever, and encourage them with God's word. Yeah, and speaking of encouragement, may a good way to end uh, your gospel journey meetings this week, or once you get to First Thessalonians uh, chapter four, is is just encourage with each uh, one another with with these two things: Jesus rose from the dead, and He's coming back. And uh, maybe carry that with us this week and moving forward as as the anchor of our hope that Jesus rose from the dead. And he is coming back. Uh, Wes and Steve, thanks again for being here. Thanks, Jamie.